What's up? This is Makad Brooks. I'm playing James the Bridge Olsen. That's right. And you are listening to Supergirl Radio. Supergirl Radio. Super, 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 super girl radio. Radio, your source for all things related to the CW Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. My name is Rebecca Johnson. I'm Morgan Glennon. And for this episode of the podcast, we are going to discuss the season four episode of Supergirl titled Stand and Deliver. And since we don't have any news this week, let's get right into talking about this week's episode. Here is the official description. Quote, between Ben Lockwood's new push to stir up the anti-alien movement and the elite's desire to target Lockwood and his minions, Supergirl is concerned about the safety of the American people, both human and alien. When Lockwood organizes a rally, the aliens decide to peacefully protest. Brainiac and... I, I, I don't like it when the descriptions say Brainiac. It should say Brainiac 5. Those are completely different characters. But that <laughs> is a minor nitpick on this description, so I'm going to keep going with it. Uh, it says Brainiac and Jean join the alien march while Supergirl and Dreamer patrol to keep everyone safe. Meanwhile, James picks up his camera again to cover the march for Catco, and Haley assigns Alex a job that clashes with her beliefs. When the Elite and Ben Lockwood stir up trouble at the rally, Supergirl is forced to take a stand. Jonathan Bennett guest stars, unquote. I'm glad that they told us the entire plot of the episode. Like, don't, <laughs> please don't leave anything to surprise. Just, just get in there and really spell it out. Yeah. And uh, there at the very end, uh, Jonathan Bennett, he, he must be a big news. I mean, I know him from Mean Girls. Oh my God. He got that tag at the end of the description. That's who he was. It, uh, the whole episode, it was haunting me. I was like, <laughs> Why is he so familiar? So that is a very long description. We have a lot to cover in this episode. Um, I guess the first thing we can start with is the elite, because the elite were going around stirring up some trouble. Uh, Manchester was trying to uh, enact his mission. He clashes clashes with the elite uh, a little bit with um, the hat specifically. But uh, so the elite are causing some trouble and uh, stirring up the pot between the aliens and the Children of Liberty. So, uh, Morgan, what did you think about the elite in this episode? I just like the elite in the, so far um, so much. And it just makes me think there is a version of this season where we had villains that were this fun, like <laughs> that we had villains that were like as fun as Menagerie or my boy, uh, forever the hat and <laughs> or maybe just hat it doesn't matter to me he is he is my one and only <laughs> but like like we could have had a whole season of like 
uh, jewel thief, snake people, and <laughs> and magical ha- magical hats, and <laughs> and British villains whose name is Manchester, who wears the Union Jack on his chest, and is just like so British. Everything he says is British. Like that could have been like the whole season and instead it's not what we got so so for some for for me the elite are actually a little bittersweet because it's like i love them so much and now they're all in jail again <laughs> uh which you know is not doesn't always hurt them because the deo has a very lax like in and out of jail policy sure like mm-hmm. do you want to leave all right uh, <laughs> but like we're so we're so close to like having like a nice super villain team up and instead what we're focusing on is is not that so <laughs> I, I i did like them a lot in this episode i think that like anytime we can get menagerie uh, i'm i'm for it i love it uh because she is so funny and i just like like her delivery on all of her lines is so like deadpanned and like a little snooty, which I really appreciate. Like she just seems like she's over everything. Yeah, the snootiness of Menagerie is what I think makes me drawn to her as a character. That moment where she is sitting and like she's strapped to that chair in in Jean's office, and Dreamer says something about how she's given out shoe advice, and and they have her watching like a runway uh, show, I think. <laughs> I think so. So she's she's in there and she's talking about Gucci and Prada and it it literally made me laugh out loud. And I think that that is a welcome change of pace and tone for the season for me. <laughs> uh, so I really liked Men- Menagerie in this episode. And I am a little bummed that <laughs> pretty much all of the elite, except for Manchester, are now in the DEO custody. Now I want them to just, like, go and uh, and go to see Hat to ask him questions. Like, Hat becomes, like, the new Hannibal Lecter. Of the- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know this isn't going to happen, but in my if I was writing the show... Uh, that's what I would have happen, obviously, <laughs> because like, what is he like without his magic hat? I want to know. Strip back the layers of hat. <laughs> Are you even hat without your hat? <laughs> my other favorite character, I have to say, I think maybe my all-time favorite elite member. I'm, I'm maybe going too hard on hat because the more I... Um, is amazing mostly because they didn't have the budget to consistently <laughs> show them. So instead, the Morai is just always uh, invisible. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, it took me about halfway through the episode when I was like, why do they keep talking to the air? And then I was like, oh, that's why the Morai is always invisible because they just didn't have the Morai budget in this one. <laughs> yeah. Which is brilliant really (laughs) yeah they had to play around with how to make that work a lot of the time i enjoyed that they gave the morai a nickname they called her mo i enjoyed that a lot they've they've become such good friends with the morai that she has a nickname yeah i think i think every time i see the elite i realize like i just want to spend more time with them like i just want to spend time watching the elite hang out like what is that dynamic like because they're all so different and like what is game night with the elite like does like does mo cheat (laughs) does mo go invisible and then look at everybody's cards (laughs) is menagerie always trying to steal people's stuff Is the is the hat doing magic tricks and pulling out rabbits? Like that's that's the episode that I re- I want the bottle episode of the elite 
hanging out. Elite game night. <laughs> that is the unfortunate thing, I think, because you could do so much in terms of episodes this season because we have a lot of episodes still left in the season. I, I know we joked about the hat origin story last week on the podcast, but you could do that. You could dedicate an entire episode to the hat's origin story. We got a little bit how Menagerie became Menagerie, but we don't know much about where she grew up. What was her childhood like? I would be okay with exploring that. How did she get into being a jewel thief? I don't know. I could be <laughs> into um, you know, seeing more of Manchester's past and how he met Fiona and all of that. Like, I would enjoy getting to see some of that story to really understand what makes these people tick because we did find out that Manchester, it sounded like Manchester and Hat had met because of Fiona. And so I thought that that was a cool connection that they had uh, together. So I I wanted to know more about their dynamic. And I, I agree with you that it would be a lot a lot of fun to hang out with them. I enjoyed the opening sequence to the episode. It went a little too short for me. It was that um, musical montage of them walking, you know, walking in slow-mo out of a diner. <laughs> but I I really enjoyed that. I could have had a whole montage sequence of the elite doing things in slow motion. I would have been into that. So I, I, I'm with you. Uh, I think the, the Elite have been really great this season, and it was a lot of fun to see what they were up to in this episode. Yeah, I like, I like them a lot, and I like that the Manchester character, so we have, like, the more uh, little out-there, broad villainous characters like Menagerie and the, you know, the alien that is always uh, invisible. Uh, <laughs> and then you have a more sort of grounded characters where he almost feels like, um, I would want to say anti-hero, but that's not right. But like a a villain that could in some ways be not that bad in Manchester. And I feel like his story is more grounded. So we get like a nice mix of the two. And I think we had more of that in this episode. And I like the way that um, his story contrasts with John's story where John's trying to like be peaceful and open up a detective agency um, and just be like, you know, just a settled down space dad. <laughs> and <laughs> and Manchester is sort of kind of a dark mirror for him. And I liked there was a moment where John says like something to the effect of that he's not that sad that Fiona's gone because now that Fiona is gone, he can do all these bad things that he wanted to do anyway and use her as a justification. And I thought, man, that is like rough, but probably pretty accurate. Mm. But I like that, that there are several layers to this character that he's not just um, purely vengeance driven, that there's also other layers to him that he's, he can be good sometimes, but he's also pretty bad sometimes. So I, I think that he's just a fascinating character and it makes me sad that he's not sort of the main hasn't been the main driver of some of this season. And instead, we're stuck with a lot of the Lockwood stuff, which I do not find as uh, intriguing or, you know, fun to watch. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, but the elite stuff, which I find a lot more enjoyable, was sort of like a flash in the pan. And now I think we're Manchester still out there, but you know, the rest of them are chilling in DEO lockup now. Yeah. I hope we haven't seen the last of them. Hopefully. I mean, I, I, I would hope not. I mean, they still have the red daughter stuff to bring in. Every time I remember that, I'm just like, uh-huh. And we're on episode what now? <laughs> <laughs> 
So, uh, so it could it could be possible that they're wrapping up the elite and then getting onto the red daughter. But I, I hope that they make the elite last a little longer. Um, because one of the things I did, you mentioned um, Jean and Manchester and their dynamic, and I really liked how Manchester has started to manipulate Jean. He has he's he's been tempting him a little bit, but he really got Jean to act on his his rage and his anger because I think Jean initially thought Manchester had all this rage and anger inside of him and he does but Jean has now built up some rage and anger and he started to take that out on Manchester in this episode and I thought it was really fascinating that Manchester was baiting him. There's that moment where he's like, you know, he's basically the Joker in the Dark Knight, you know, come and hit me, come and hit me. And uh, so Jean is like pounding Manchester. And then we find out that that's not really Manchester. He's he's used a, a child of liberty um, to have Jean beat up a human. And that is terrifying. Manchester has gone from kind of this fun slow-mo montage villain who makes a lot of you know uh british jokes or whatever but now i i'm really actually very scared of him now and so i think that that has made him a great villain um for this show is because he's gone from uh someone you kind of enjoy to watch to now me being scared of him because he might do anything. And he has taken a peaceful man, a man who wants to do good for other people and try to keep this kind of vow that he's made to the memory of his father. And he's made Jean angry and violent. And that is, it's just very scary to me that he was able to do that to him. And one of the things that I enjoyed about the Manchester hat dynamic in this episode is that they have conflicting ideologies that really surprised me that Hat kind of butted up against Manchester because Manchester is just all about killing Lockwood. That's his big goal. He wants to just get revenge for Fiona. And Hat is like, no, you know what? I, I get I get the killing. I get the you know revenge thing. But we really should be changing the world. We should be world changers. <laughs> hat is like, listen, Manchester, <laughs> think bigger. <laughs> this is why I love the Hat because he's ambitious, man. <laughs> Take down the system, Hat. <laughs> <laughs> Take on the man. He's he's not just about you know acting suicidal and settling old scores. He wants to actually do something to change the world. And so I think Manchester and Hat found uh, a middle ground <laughs> to get together by the end of the episode when they go to the march. And Manchester gets a little bit of his revenge and the hat gets a little of his, you know, getting involved in the topical situation. So he feels like he's changing the world a little bit. So I guess they found a little bit of a, a middle ground. So I thought it was really interesting that even among the elite, they have conflicting ideas about what they want to do. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting, too, because it showed different sides of like their their opinions on what they're doing and why they're doing it and what their motivations are. I thought that was interesting. And I think that's one of the benefits of having like a group of villains versus maybe just one villain, which I don't think that we've seen too much on Supergirl in the past. Usually it's like one sort of bad, like big baddie. We did have the world killers last year. We did have the world killers. I mean, I feel like the the other world killers were not as fleshed out as I would like them to be. 
uh, I could have I could have used with more world killers, I guess. You needed more grace. I needed more grace in my life. <laughs> <laughs> she was just like, I'm cool. Being evil seems awesome. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> I think if Grace had lived, she would have come after Rain. I think so, too. I think she would have tried to go for the throne. She would have been like, this is Grace's show now. <laughs> <laughs> so we have had a little bit of, of uh, team-ups and uh, villainy, but not to this scale. So I do think that that is a good point. Well, um, I guess since since we can't avoid it, <laughs> any further because we kind of have to segue from what went down with the elite to what went down in the uh, topical parts of this episode. Uh, I guess the the uh, the word of the day for this episode is uh, march or protest. Pick your word. I think it's funny that the episode title is called Stand and Deliver because while they did do some marching, they ended up just sort of standing there. So <laughs> uh, it does feel accurate. <laughs> I have a lot of comments about how marches work. <laughs> oh, well, let's let's get into that. So what do you think they should have done instead? As I was watching it, I was like, okay, here they are. They're peacefully marching. They're standing up for their beliefs. They're walking into a building? Why are they walk- What are they doing why are they walking into that bill it's called a march it's not called a walk and stand (laughs) uh it was just it seemed bizarre to me that they would like have this march where they would then walk into a building and then kind of stand there like march kind of connotates that you like you march to a location usually but it's not usually like in an open air atrium (laughs) it was just it felt strange to me well i guess they were marching to lockwood's press conference and protesting the press conference but i also have questions about that too because if it was his press like why wasn't he in dc were they in dc i i assume they were in national city yeah they seem like they were unless they were marching for so long <laughs> they were just they just did like a forest gump like jump cut <laughs> <laughs> They're still going. My God. Uh, <laughs> I I mean, I have some some like nitpicks about like wouldn't they need a wouldn't they need a permit for that kind of march? Like <laughs> it seemed like there were a lot of people by the time that they actually marched. And at a certain amount of people, I feel like you would need like maybe a, the city to give you a permit for your your march route. I mean, I'm getting too much into this. I'm sure Brainy didn't know that. Yeah, well, and I also have questions about the police force. Yeah. Where were they? They came in uh, after everyone started fighting, which is a problem and i didn't understand and you talk about nitpicking if brainy and alex were going to coordinate to protect everybody at this march why wouldn't they have a police presence to protect like maybe even stand between both sides to protect both of those sides to make sure that they did not attack each other yeah it was even on the news like it was on the news that these two conflicting things were going to happen at the same time it wasn't like one thing happened and then organically another thing just started up where no one could like foresee this thing happening and or turning it into a situation like they had days of notice that both of these things are happening the police were just like you know what well i think they're just gonna they're gonna sit down they're gonna hash this out so i don't want to like step on any toes (laughs) it was such a strange that the deo instead of like the city police would be handling it also seemed a bit 
odd. Yeah, and why was Alex in, involved in protecting Lockwood? That's not really her. Oh. That's not her thing anymore. She's not supposed to be a field agent. She's the director. She's supposed to direct the operations. The Alex thing made me, like, actually angry for, like, one of the, like, I've been, like, letting a lot of the stuff this season just sort of, just gently roll off of me, like, okay, it's fine. We're all in this together. We're going to get through this. We're going to do this. And just, like, you know, just take, just taking, just a little sip of wine. Everything's good. But the Alex thing was where, it was where I finally was like, I can't wait. I can't. <laughs> because poor Alex. Here I thought this was going to be the year we I thought starting the season. This is the season of Alex. Alex Danvers is on the up. Alex <laughs> Danvers is the director of the DEO. She's going to be adopting a baby or maybe maybe an older child. Who knows? She could do whatever she wants. <laughs> She's that girl. And then like almost immediately she goes from being the director of the DEO to uh, reporting to somebody else. <laughs> okay. Okay. She was supposed to be the big boss and she's not now, but all right, let's roll with this. Let's roll with this. And then in this episode, when they gave her <laughs> the the task of just being a bodyguard for some sort of some mid-level government dude, I was like, well, that's if I'm, if I'm Alex, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I've had it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I got a promotion. This is the worst promotion you could possibly get. Yeah, it just it doesn't make much sense to me. Although Haley tried to justify it like you're the one who, you know, has more experience than anybody else with dealing with hostile extraterrestrials. So you're you're kind of the best one for this this rally, this march, this protest, whatever it was. But at the same time, you can still have a like a guard a secret service person well i mean it does kind of explain some stuff to me about the deo that they wouldn't have anyone else who could just do guard duty uh it does explain some of the, of their problems somebody else some other big nameless dude could have been <laughs> could have been a guard for him i know instead of I, alex. I like the idea of alex like going to some like deo agent and being like okay you gotta you gotta watch lockwood and they're like oh cool do i get your alien gun she's like nope good luck <laughs> no guns here yeah away. yeah i'm not i'm not real crazy about uh what they've been doing with alex and it, it just i mean i'm 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 glad that she you know she sucked it up she kind of she protested it uh, i guess pun intended a little bit that she had to guard lockwood and protect him but she did it anyway because that's what she's supposed to do. And and Haley commends her for putting her duty before her politics. So so that's good. So I thought she did the right thing there. It's another one of those things that this season that we've complained about a, a bit. <laughs> so I have to uh, apologize to people who were like, I get it. I know. But it's <laughs> like <laughs> it's the tail wagging the dog thing again. It's the story needed Alex Danvers to be in that room right. for you know, character growth, whatever the theme that they were doing that week. So it doesn't matter that it would make no sense that uh, the director of the DEO wouldn't be doing like basic guard duty. <laughs> so that's just what they need that they need that character in that place. So they have to just sort of pretzel the story in such a way that they lampshade it a little bit so that you're like, okay, well, I mean, Haley did say that she was the best. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah, but it still doesn't make any sense that this would be happening. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm going with you, Supergirl. But oh man, it's getting harder. <laughs> you, you, you've got you've got to really make it work. It, we want it. <laughs> we want to go on this journey with you. You just got to make it make sense. <laughs> We're trying, Supergirl. But what about the permits? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is my national city real estate like bugaboo all over again <laughs> and watch next week we're gonna have so many people write in that that's that are gonna be like you actually don't need permits and i'm gonna be like well sure okay <laughs> it's like how i kept on going like going on and on about the online adoption services and then we had like a really beautiful gentleman who was like actually i used one and i was like oh Okay. This, this is this is how we learn. This is how I learned. Just being really mad about Supergirl and then having people gently, uh, lovingly correct us <laughs> is how I learned. <laughs> I'm there with you. So uh, we talked a little bit about Alex at this uh, march for uh, for aliens. Uh, so what did you think about Kara getting into this? Because she initially was like, you know what? I'm just going to patrol. I'm going to keep people safe. Uh, because I'm Supergirl, and I already told the president, like, you've got me. You don't need any other uh, protection from uh, bad things because you got me. That's all you need. Um, so she was going to patrol, and then Brainy gave this really uh, heroic speech about how Supergirl maybe needed to be there because she's a citizen of Earth, and this impacts her too. So what did you think about Kara deciding to join in in her Kryptonian robes? I don't know how I like 100% felt about it because I did kind of feel like maybe you should still be patrolling though, because like for some reason there are no police here. (laughs) (laughs) It's apparently just you and Nia, a girl who has not changed out of her outfit in three days. So, (laughs) Well, it's probably probably takes a while to put on. She's like, listen, I'm repelling people a different way, a smelly way. (laughs) I'm keeping the two sides apart because I'm in the middle. (laughs) But I, I did think, that the gesture of like it seems like a lot of people are angry about this alien problem but they don't sort of seem to consider Supergirl to be part of what they're mad about it's like you see the uh, Lockwood's aide who's like Supergirl saved us but then he's like yelling at the aliens and uh, and I think it's sort of people are seeing her as an exception like Supergirl is the good one so I thought it was it was a powerful statement that she was down there like hand in hand with the other aliens marching and saying no actually I'm just like these people and we're all asking for the same thing and we're all in this together I thought that that was a powerful statement However, I did, I kind of, I still was like, I just feel like there needs to be a patrol here. No one's doing anything. Look around you. No one's here. And surprise, surprise, uh, some bad stuff happens. Shocking. And it goes <laughs> awry when just a little, just a little bit of protection maybe would have, uh, would have helped some things. Uh, yeah, I'm conflicted about it, too, because while I do think it is a nice gesture, because this does impact Kara, she is an alien, she is one of them, and she wants to go out there and prove, hey, you know, these aliens who are marching right here, they're not the bad ones. We have had some aliens, of course, she doesn't say this because we're not going to reiterate this point on the show because it's conflicting with the point we're trying to make, but there have been, there have been some aliens who have come and tried to take over the world and brainwash people and made Kelly uh, fall off a balcony to her death. R.I.P. Kelly. R.I.P. Kelly. <laughs> we will never forget. <laughs> there have been those aliens who did that. But these aliens who are marching, 
they're peaceful. They've they've come to uh, make their voices heard about their rights and what they think is uh, supposed to happen and supposed to go down. And so she wants to join them to make that statement. And I th- I did think that it was um, a, a nice uh, play on the fact that normally the Supergirl S the S shield is the symbol is the thing that people look to. And this time around, when she's in the march, she covers that up. And she's just Karzorel, citizen of Earth, uh, you know, former Kryptonian citizen. Uh, so the, I did like that. But at the same time, I got really frustrated because we spent the entirety of season three trying to get Kara to the, the point where she embraced Kara Danvers <laughs> the entire season. I mean, from premiere to finale, we spent the entire season getting her to where she embraced her Kara Danvers identity and thought that that was just as important as Supergirl. And now she has completely abandoned the Kara Danvers persona um, as a you know an American citizen she feels like she is a she's a citizen of Earth but she's not Kara Danvers the Kara Zarel part of her is more important at this point and I I I like I I both like it and dislike it I'm very conflicted about that because it frustrates me as a viewer because I spent so much time getting Kara to that place at the end of season three and now in season four we're like no nah, that doesn't that's not as important anymore. So that makes me feel like I've wasted my time a little bit with the Kara character. <laughs> but <laughs> but I understand what they were trying to say in terms of uh, the message of her standing with those aliens. And it did. I did think that it was a nice bit of writing that they paid off what was said in the previous episode with Manchester. He, he compares Kara to Moses. And not only is that a common comparison that gets... Uh, uh, attributed to Superman a lot, Superman and Supergirl, that, you know, they are the the babies put in the basket, sent to Earth, found by the the couple who raises them. Um, so there is that Moses comparison. And in this episode, she is standing in the front, uh, leading the people. Um, so they did fulfill that Moses comparison. So I did like that in terms of the writing. But I, I was a little conflicted about uh, Carr being out there just because of what it uh, contrasted uh, in terms of season three. Yeah, and so that was also maybe the second moment in the episode where I just like slowly rolled off my couch in despair <laughs> is when she comes down and she tells them that you know she's not Supergirl right now, she's Carzorel, uh, and I was just like, your sister. <laughs> Her brain is Swiss cheese right now. Like I, I want, I want just like a day in the life of Alex where she's just like microwaving her remote and <laughs> like, and like eating like one of those fake fruits, like the plastic fruit. <laughs> Cause like all of her memories are gone. It's just, we had to do this whole mind wipe thing because she's working so hard this season to conceal her secret identity. And then she's out there just throwing around her actual civilian name. Like <laughs> I know Zorel is, is obviously going to throw it way off, but <laughs> it's like, I mean, we're already, we're already, we've made the logic leap that no one recognizes her because she's got really great glasses. And like, <laughs> I, I'm trying here. But then she says her name out, and I was like, 
but no, but Alex and Lena can't know because <laughs> yeah, surely at least one of the aliens at the marches is like, you know, you remember that time that that, that girl debated Ben Lockwood <laughs> on, TV. on national television? She got she kind of cars are all kind of looks like her. It would have been great if she was like, I'm Cara Danvers. I need you to not tell my sister that, though. <laughs> Listen, this is a circle of trust, me and, and these thousand people. <laughs> At least that would, if she had kept Danvers, I would feel better about the season three connection. Yeah, that's true. That's true. A- and it would have been funnier. <laughs> <laughs> so win-win. She's like not even trying. I think I, I, I retweeted an, an article earlier where it was like, is Cara even trying to hide her secret identity anymore and i was like well first off was she ever but also i mean it's 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 a good point when you have the whole season uh this big emotional storyline about the sisters who's the who are the heart of the show being kind of estranged estranged a little bit because now alex can't know the secret and this is like a big part of your season and then you just have supergirl doing things that are just you have to question like does she even does she care if people know? Well, and there's even that scene when she comes and when Kara comes into Jean's office and Menagerie is there and Kara comes in saying, yeah, I flew around the earth twice. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. <laughs> so does Menagerie put it together that this Kara person is Supergirl? Because normal people don't fly around the, the world very quickly. I mean, I fly around the world very slowly. <laughs> When I fly. If at all. I've never flown around the world uh, completely. So I, I think that uh, the point that Kara is being willy-nilly with the secret identity is a fair one. I feel like I'm used to it. <laughs> I'm used to her being willy-nilly with her secret identity. But in seasons past, it hurt like a whole huge storyline hasn't like relied on her keeping her secret identity very secret right now. Which is why I was kind of like... This is all feeling like a bit a bit much when we have a couple of characters who at this point should really know the secret like in the dark still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that is an issue uh because they've made a big deal about the mind wipe and all of that. So yeah, it's very frustrating from a viewer standpoint, I would agree. Um Another thing that I personally found frustrating about this episode, so Morgan, um, I I have a lot of thoughts on this, and I want you to correct me if I'm wrong about any of it, um, but I want to talk about the three branches of the United States government. I mean, let's do this. Let's be a bill on Capitol Hill right now. Can we get into this? (laughs) I'm going to take conjunction junction right down to where you are. Please, because knowledge is power. Okay, so I'm watching the episode, and Kara says the line, Tell me Ben Lockwood cannot repeal a congressional act. And I thought, was the Alien Amnesty Act a congressional act? And I kept thinking, you know, it's been two seasons since the Alien Amnesty Act was introduced in the third episode of season two. But I'm pretty sure that's not right because I'm pretty sure I remember that it was an executive order that was uh, introduced by President Marsden. So... I go to my trusty Google Docs because at this point, you know, four seasons into the show, I've got a pretty good searchable archive. I have some really detailed notes and I can just go in there and type Alien Amnesty Act or Executive Order and up pops all my notes that have those things in there. 
So it's actually a very good thing. That's why I use my Google Docs, because it helps me remember things. Wouldn't it be great if at some point this podcast just becomes sponsored by Google Docs? (laughs) Google Docs, when you see a 15-page document, don't cry. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? They should sponsor us because I promote them all the time. I love Google Docs. So the thing is, I go into my Google Docs, I find exactly my Welcome to Earth Season 2 Episode 3 notes. I go in there, I even use the, you know, the Command F to do the find, and I type in executive order. Well, wouldn't you know it, up pops Amnesty Act executive order. So just to verify that my notes were correct, because it's been two seasons uh, since this this has been notated. So I go to Netflix. I pull up episode three from season two and I start watching it. It's like two minutes in. They start talking about the Alien Amnesty Act. Supergirl legitimately says, literally says that the Alien Amnesty Act is an executive order. So now I'm starting to get really agitated with the show. (laughs) So uh, because... My understanding of executive orders, so you have the executive branch, which is the president of the United States. Then you have the legislative branch, which is Congress, the House of Representatives, and and the Senate. And then you have the judicial branch. This is for anybody who wants to learn about the United States government and how we do our checks and balances. So then you have your third branch of government, which is the judicial branch, which is essentially the Supreme Court. So the executive orders are done by the executive branch which is the president of the United States, which made sense in season two, episode three, when President Marsden introduced her Alien Amnesty Act. Well, the fact that they, in the episode, call it a congressional act uh, made me question that because a congressional act, to me, signals that it's gone through Congress and that's how it has become a thing. Right. (laughs) This is how I teach (laughs) civics. It's a thing now. It went through Congress. It's a thing. So I'm wondering why... Do you think that they forgot that it was an executive order? (laughs) Do you think that that's what happens? (laughs) Maybe they don't have a Google Doc and the uh, Control F function. I am offering my services. (laughs) If the show writers would like access to my Google Docs so that they can have notes about what happened in previous seasons, I will create a folder and put all my little Google Docs in it and send it to them. I am offering that up free of charge, uh, whatever it takes, because the option is either they have forgotten that it was an executive order or they don't understand how the branches of government works. I don't know which bothers me more. (laughs) I mean, either is likely (laughs) (laughs) or it could be both. When she was talking about the congressional thing, I was like, well, no, I mean, he wouldn't be able to if it if it went through. The houses of, you know, represent, you know, all the different things and it became law by going through Congress. Then, no, I don't think that he could just be like, nah, I'm good. But I, I also felt like Marsden just sort of announced it and not like it was like something that was like a piece of legislation they were working on that she was supporting. But again, Supergirl in season two, we didn't have to have these conversations about the three different branches of government. It was just like, oh, it's President Wonder Woman. <laughs> she's so cool. Weird that she's an alien. <laughs> so here's the, here's the thing. Here's what I'm trying to uh, figure out. And if there's anybody listening who is like a constitutional lawyer, 
hit us up. Let me know if I'm right or wrong. If we have a constitutional lawyer listening, I'm going to be so impressed with us. (laughs) I'm going to be so impressed with our listeners if we have somebody who can set me straight on this. Because from what I understand is that the executive order would have had to come from the president of the United States. And under uh, president uh, presidential executive orders, uh, once issued, remain in force until they are canceled, revoked, or uh, adjudicated unlawful or expire on their own terms. And that at any time, the president can revoke, modify, make exceptions to any uh, executive order, um, even if it's uh, an order that was made by the previous administration. So from my understanding... Here's what bothered me. Ben Lockwood talks about repealing the Alien Amnesty Act. Well, you can't repeal an executive order. The only way to get rid of a previous executive order is if the executive branch does another executive order. So you have to use the executive order to kind of shred the previous executive order. So why they kept talking about repealing it made no sense to me. Congress can't just have a congressional, quote, congressional act and get rid of an executive order. That's not how that works. Once an executive order is put into place, that's it until um, the next uh, executive in the executive branch revokes it. So the only reason I bring this up and I'm making such a big deal about it is that the entire episode hinged on this (laughs) at the very end they celebrate the fact that they have succeeded in changing the world and ben lockwood says oh we're gonna think about it and we're gonna make sure that it goes through congress and none of that makes any sense when you realize the alien amnesty act is an executive order because first of all ben lockwood has nothing to do with this president baker would have to be the one to enact this that's what kept getting me i'm like i'm pretty sure that like a just somebody who's in charge of a department can't repeal legislation. I don't care what kind of legislation it is. It's like, hey, I'm the head of the uh, of the environmental agency, and I'm just going to repeal this, please. It's like I don't, I don't know that that works. You can't just go and uh, repeal somebody's executive order. The entire plot makes no sense. It, examined under the microscope of how the United States government works. And uh, the fact that they celebrated it at the end, I was like, no, but that's not that's not how any of this works. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> so <laughs> I just I just thought it was very strange. And um, I started questioning if you're going to write an entire season of television based in American politics, I would at least appreciate it if you understood how the government operated. That's all I'm asking. Just a teensy bit of research. It took me two minutes to realize that the Alien Amnesty Act was an executive order. And it took me two minutes to look up executive orders on Wikipedia. I even went to YouTube and watched a video on it. It was very good. It was like a TED Talk. Maybe we're not giving them enough credit because maybe what they wanted us to do was to educate ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, listen. By getting this wrong, I'm going to get it right for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to challenge you. Do you understand 
how the government works. I know how it works. <laughs> do you know how it works? And do you want to maybe tell me how it works? And then we'll see if that's how I think it works. <laughs> Here, here's how they can get out of this. They can just say, well, on Earth-38, this is how the branches of government operate. Maybe on R38, it's different. I just kept on questioning, like, is the president revoking this order? Because it, why does it seem like Ben Lockwood has all this power to do all these things? Like, that piece of legislation came directly from the president. He cannot do that. And here's the thing. I'm not even sure if I fully uh, back the Alien Amnesty Act because of the fact that it's an executive order. I do think that that kind of stuff should have gone through Congress and that that should have been handled that way. But I'm defending the Alien Amnesty Act here because I think it should have stayed in effect until President Baker made the action to remove it. If the point they were trying to make was like, we're going to march to show the president that he shouldn't repeal that executive order, then I would be like, okay, <laughs> that makes sense. But it was like, we, yeah, we showed Ben Lockwood. And I was like, who's he? <laughs> what does he do? He doesn't even go here. <laughs> <laughs> they should have been protesting in D.C., and they should have been protesting the president. And maybe if they were smart about it, they would have met with the president somehow and chatted with him about that um, to say, hey, could you please uphold this Alien Amnesty Act and maybe not revoke it with another executive order? So uh, and I, I don't know. what. Ugh. <laughs> so here's here's the thing. President Baker could have easily very, very quickly fixed all of this by just doing the executive order. He doesn't have to go through Congress. He doesn't have to do any of that. He can just do it. That's part of the executive branch. Of course, the judicial branch could have been like, no, we're going to call this into uh, into question and we're we're going to, uh, you know, fight this in the judicial part of the, the government. That could happen. Uh, I just my frustration with the show is that if you're going to do these topical storylines and if you're going to make this a thing, then make it make sense and uh, maybe follow how the government works. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so I guess we should move on from that. I'm sorry to make you talk about uh, the three branches of government and uh, dealing with executive orders. But that really frustrated me a lot. I was more irritated about other things, so I wasn't focusing on on it as much. But it definitely made me go, "Wait, what?" <laughs> when they were they were talking about, I was like, well, "I don't think that Ben Lockwood can." First off, I don't think he can do that. <laughs> and then at the end, when they were like, "Okay, it's going through," and I was like, "Wait." Did I forget a lot? Because that's always possible. It's always <laughs> possible that I've forgotten a lot about what's happened in the past. And in my defense, so has the show. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm glad that you have those Google documents to look it up. Well, I forget a lot of things. But dang it, if I did not remember that the Alien Amnesty Act was an executive order. That stuck in my brain for some reason. I don't know why, but that I've retained. Of all the things in the world, I retain that. So let's talk about something that's a little more intriguing, a little more conspiratorial, because I think this is something we could speculate on. So James is leaving his desk bed. 
He's had he's had a, a you know a good time <laughs> in his office. Yeah, I was like, wait, James, dude, where are you going? You know, you live there. You're not going home. See, this is the first part. <laughs> We're gonna get like all who shot JFK in here because that was the first part of the mystery to me. Where are you going? You live there. <laughs> yes, he should have just turned around. And gone back to his Could home. Could you imagine if he had gotten shot, like, crawling <laughs> under the desk? He's, like, <laughs> he's like, okay, time to time to turn in. And he's, like, about to crawl under. And that's when he gets shot. Oh, man, like, fluffing his pillow. And, like, all you see is, uh, now I'm getting a little graphic. Like, all you see is, like, blood on the white pillow. Because, you know, every time on TV when someone gets shot, they're wearing, like, a white shirt or a white dress oh, or something. Yeah. Oh, wait, you see, like, blood on the white pillow and then just a bunch of, like, feathers just floating in the air. <laughs> <laughs> Slow motion. Uh, yes. No, I think that that's, uh, maybe they should have uh, corrected that when they shot the scene. That should have been how it went down. But it did go down that James gets shot in the back. It looked, it looked like he got shot in the back, but then he was laying on his back on the floor. So I'm not entirely sure how that happened, because if he was shot in the back, wouldn't he fall face forward? It, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think we've established in this episode, I think we've established in this episode that not everything works the way it should <laughs> here. So anything is, we're in a free-for-all, Rebecca, <laughs> anything is possible. <laughs> whatever you want it to be. It's like it's like the hat's hat. You can just pull whatever <laughs> you want out of it, and, and so you, you have what you want. So, Morgan... Big question. Who do you think shot James? Huh. This is, I hope this is like the who shot JR of Supergirl in that it like they stretch it out for weeks and weeks. Like who did it? Uh, And then it ends up being somebody really lame. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't, you know what? I don't know. But I have a theory. Ooh. So my theory is first off that it goes all the way to the top oh i think it was Haley. right before he gets shot she's talking to lena who she wants to do human trials faster on oh yeah and she's like listen like we can chill out on this you and i we're fr- i'm a reasonable person and we're friends and like sorry to hear about you and james oh yes she did know about that and she's like I read the tabloids, too. And Lena's like, weird. And I don't want to have this conversation with you. Uh, <laughs> and then James gets shot. What will that maybe make Lena do? Will it maybe make Lena uh, shoot up James with her super person serum? Maybe, yeah. To mm. test it out? Mm. To save the man that she kicked out of a moving limousine <laughs> one time? <laughs> now te- technically it, technically it was a rolls royce that's true that was a rolls royce oh man still so funny <laughs> but is did she do it because the president sold her to mm. goes all the way to the top <laughs> well and you know the children of liberty did celebrate guardian at one point that's true for going up against some of the aliens so Maybe Ben Lockwood said, hey, that Guardian guy, maybe he would be a good one to experiment on. If Ben Lockwood even knows about this project, he may not. I don't know. He knows about how to repeal executive orders. It could be that maybe he made a recommendation about Guardian. Can I just say, among the many things that um, uh, I didn't uh, love in this episode, one of the things that made me laugh the most is when 
there's the chaos and everybody is like fighting and this is making me sound like a bad person but stick with me and <laughs> james is there taking pictures and i thought and i just said so the guardian thing you're just over that huh <laughs> <laughs> If there was ever a situation where maybe Guardian would be helpful, this is that situation. And he's like, you know what? Nah. He had a shield that would attach to his arm that he could just pull out at will. Everyone knowing that James's Guardian stuff got dropped so fast and so thoroughly, kind almost as if it was James and Kara's budding romance, <laughs> that uh, I have literally forgotten that people knew that James Olsen was Guardian until you mentioned that Ben Lockwood might have suggested that. And I was like, well, how would he have known to suggest James? And then I was like, right, because of that whole scandal that lasted one second. <laughs> That's such a good point, though. Why would wouldn't James have physically intervened to help out? Because he was being a journalist in this episode. <laughs> but like he hasn't been a journalist in I'm like looking at my bare my bare wrist like it's a watch. But like <laughs> in so long. It's been so long since James was like, I'm gonna pick up my cat. He's like, you know what? I would help. But I'm feeling like this is like a Pulitzer-y situation, and I don't want to, like, give that up. <laughs> it was so – it was almost – it was comical to me because it was so glaringly a situation where Guardian would have been, instead of a hindrance, like, sometimes, let's be honest, Guardian is, would have been actually helpful in this situation. And instead, James is just, like, taking pictures. And I was like, really, James, not anything else that you might want to – want to be doing right now not anything else i think that's such a good point and for, personally for me as someone who uh, considers herself uh, an amateur photographer i didn't think his picture was all that great i'm gonna be honest that big picture that was supposed to change the world and change the conversation i was like no you, di you didn't even get all of the sign in there it said like together like, it didn't say, it didn't show together. Like, your composition was garbage, James. I was about to say, the composition was not great. They did try to make a point that journalism is heroic. He makes this, I mean, it's a pretty good speech where he says, you know, it's important to remember what we do here at CatCo every day, reporting events like this, taking the risk to show all sides and showing the humanity there. And he says that's nothing less than heroic. So he is comparing to being that photographer and getting those images to heroism. So maybe he thought that my job here to be the hero in this situation is not to be guardian where I'm helping people not get murdered. Um, <laughs> I guess that's the camera part of it was the, the better choice. And he, he does have another good point. He says, you fight injustice with your fists. You can help one, maybe a dozen people, but good journalism can impact millions. So I think there are good points there. That speech was definitely about the like the power of journalism and the importance of it. And I was like, yeah, right on. But I just think it almost feels like the show has forgotten about the James Guardian thing because now James is a journalist because we want to tell these journalism stories. Like last season, James is Guardian because we didn't know what to with him um and it just feels like maybe just a throwaway line about like i thought about putting on the suit but then i thought this was more important yeah would have lampshaded it enough where i'd be like okay no one's forgotten about this 
uh, incredibly long plot, like the storyline that has seemingly been dropped a little bit. It's just that he decided that the power of uh, images and journalism and, you know, telling good stories was more important to get the story out there. That's definitely something I could get on board with, but it felt very much instead what I was watching felt more like no one remembered James was guardian. And for me, the way it was portrayed was kind of silly. I thought because He's in this chaos. It's basically a little civil war that has happened that has broken out at this march. And he is just camera in hand, just smiling, taking pictures, having a good old time. And I don't know <laughs> if it if it was me directing this episode, which would never happen. The other Rebecca Johnson would do a much better job <laughs> directing an episode of Supergirl. But I would have maybe shown him having to protect himself while he's getting these pictures, maybe have him earn it a little bit. Like maybe someone tries to attack him and it takes a real effort for him to get these shots because it just didn't seem like he was in a, a serious situation. Like it wasn't that big of a deal because he didn't seem to to be in the mix at all. So I, I did think that that was a little strange the way they depicted that. Yeah, it was like there was all this chaos going around, going on around him, but he was just standing there completely unbothered by it, which was which was a little strange. Yeah, and I think if they're making a point that good journalism shows all sides and it has the power to to change the world and move the world, I think another point that they could have made is that good journalism is sometimes dangerous. Yeah. And and that these people are often putting themselves into harm's way to get the shot to tell the story, to like let people know what's really happening on the ground. And sometimes the ground is dangerous. But that's not really what the direction like you said, it's not what the direction was showing because James seemed to be in no imminent danger at any point. It would have made more sense if he if he got into some trouble, he could use that guardian shield. So I, I, I know that's another really nitpicky kind of thing. But I do think the, the James thing did stand out to me when he was taking his photos. So who do you think shot James? Going back to our, um, uh, what I'm going to call it, conspiracy corner. Conspiracy <laughs> corner. Ooh, I'm going to have to get a new jingle. Um <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, my initial thought was maybe Lex had something to do with it. Um, but we do know that Eve had some uh, worries about James and Catco finding out what was going on with the black budget at L Corp. Because now Eve knows that James is snooping around. I don't see Eve Tessmacher. I don't see her... <laughs> being that person to go in there and shoot him we don't know a lot about eve maybe she's doing it to protect miss luther maybe she thinks that that's the only way to do it because lena wasn't going to listen to her lena was very focused on doing the job of the day and uh, so i i think it's someone connected to the luthers but i don't know exactly who um, I would love it if, if it was somebody, ooh, if it was like Mercy, come back from the dead. Oh, my God, uh, that'd be amazing. God, that would that would really hit a lot of buttons for me. That would heal some wounds. <laughs> that, that would heal so many wounds. If Mercy was back. Surprise! I'm not dead. Uh, that would make me so happy. Uh, but I do think it is someone connected to the Luther family. But I like your speculation that it might be Colonel Haley or someone who is doing it on behalf of Colonel Haley. I think that's that's a fair speculation. Both strong speculations. I, I think I like both. I like both theories now. Also, was he so 
was he shot through the window, through the office, into his office? Is that what happened? Did it go through the window? I just kind of assumed that someone had gotten into the office. Yeah, see, that's that was my question. It Was there somebody in the office or was there somebody like sharpshooting? Like a sniper? Like a sniper. Well, if it's a sniper, I don't think it's Eve Tessmacher. <laughs> what if it is, though? <laughs> We don't know anything about Eve. What if she has this past of, like, being an assassin? She's like, I don't like to talk about my assassin past. (laughs) (laughs) That would actually be pretty awesome. I would actually love that. (laughs) I guess I didn't see anything go through the window, but it could have. I'll have to go back and rewatch it. I'm going to have to rewatch that scene because I was like, how did, was there somebody in the office or was it, I I think I might have made it more dramatic. Uh, than it actually was, which I'm okay with. (laughs) To add to the Eve speculation, she does know her way around CatCo. That is true. She used to be Cat Grant's assistant. She worked there for a long time. She worked for James. She even knew his coffee order, just the way he liked it. So it's possible maybe she knows how to get in there at night. Maybe she's still got some credentials. Maybe she sweet-talks somebody in the lobby to let her up. And she also did, I thought I did hang on to the quote where she tells James, you know, I promise we're one of the good guys. So I'm leaning pretty hard into this Eve speculation, but I could totally be wrong. But I think it would be awesome if if Eve turned a corner and she she went to the dark side to protect Lena. (laughs) I think that would be really interesting. But I guess we will find out. Maybe maybe it will be a storyline that they'll stretch out over a couple episodes. I'd be into that because it reminds me of the summer of The Young and the Restless when I first got into soap operas when uh, Victor Newman got shot. And everybody thought that Jill did it. Everybody was coming after Jill Abbott. And Jill was not the one who did it. Turns out it was Mary Jo Mason. Mary Jo. We haven't seen Mary Jo Mason since then. Uh, I don't know what's been going on with Mary Jo Mason, but uh, she hasn't been on the show since uh, I was 15 years old. But uh, she kidnapped Christine and uh, put her in a soundproof dungeon. So there is a lot. Of, there are a lot of things that you could do with a who shot who storyline. There are so many directions you can go. And soundproof dungeon. Guys, it's only one of them. Dream, dream bigger than that. <laughs> I mean, you could really dig into this if you if you just use your imagination or do some soap opera tropes. I'm into that, too. Hopefully we'll get a, a good intriguing storyline out of this uh, setup. It was a pretty good cliffhanger, I thought. Uh, I didn't see it coming. It was a good cliffhanger. Also, so I have um, this is my other piece of speculation. So my speculation is that Lena is going to try to turn him into super soldier to save him. But it's not going to go the way she thought. And we're going to get turtle boy Jimmy Olsen. (laughs) See, another thing that would heal some wounds. I know. She's like, I was trying to make you super. And instead I made you a turtle boy. (laughs) Her her experiments were not quite finished. She had not quite perfected it yet. She's like, in my defense, I wasn't done. In defense, Colonel Haley rushed this a little bit. I was only at the turtle boy stage of the super soldier (laughs) serum. I got to the point where I was not killing people anymore, but I still haven't uh, maintained uh, someone's humanity, and now I have uh, (laughs) altered their species. (laughs) Would that not be the best twist 
of the season. It would be a great twist. All of season four would have been worth it if we could get Jimmy Olsen <laughs> Turtle Boy. If we, if we just got to this, this has all been for Turtle Boy Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's not get our hopes up, but I'm going to get my hopes up anyway. <laughs> Um, so I think we should end on Turtle Boy Jimmy Olsen. Seems like a great place to end. I think that's a good place to end. So overall thoughts, uh, what were your feelings about this very topical, uh, (laughs) episode of Supergirl season four? I think this episode to me, and maybe on rewatch, I will turn a corner on it. This one to me might've been the, uh, the gun control episode of the season for me. This is, I think the, uh, this was, that was season three, right? That was last season. Yes. I think. This is this is that episode this season for me uh, where it was it was too much. It was too much for me. It was everything was so to- so topical. So very, <laughs> so very, very topical. Uh, I mean, we we're all sitting here. We, we watched the news. We knew what this episode was about and what was <laughs> it was patterned off of and what real life events they were ripping from the headlines, law and order style. And uh, not all of it made sense. Uh, there were some weird character beats where the characters weren't acting the way I would imagine they act. Uh, Alex got demoted even further. Like James forgot that he was guardian. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's just putting aside all the issues about like the March itself and, uh, the, the branches of government and how they work. Uh, it was a, this one was a, uh, this one was a challenge for me, um, to find the bright spots that I did enjoy, which was like the elite, uh, still loving, still loving Nia as dreamer. I think that she's been, she was really fun in this episode and got to use her powers in some cool ways. And I like her like enthusiasm for being part of the team. I think that's a, that's been a bright spot the whole season. Um, I liked the character development for Brainy. I thought it, it made sense for him to suddenly be like, now that he doesn't have this Legion ring and he's kind of more stuck, for him to be like oh okay I don't have this like magical out on my finger now and I have to like live in this reality with everybody else so uh, I thought that the brainy stuff was really good and interesting and I, I like some of the some of the Kara beats but I don't know and I, I like some of the John beats but I don't know that all of that was enough to like outweigh the stuff where I just kept on like turning my head to the side like a dog and going what Yeah, this episode was uh, very frustrating for me, so much so that I called my mother, who is a retired history teacher and is a member of the Daughters of the American Revolution, where when they have meetings, they will say the preamble of the Constitution. These ladies are serious about the Constitution. Uh, So I had to ask questions about the three (laughs) branches of government to my retired history teacher mother because I just uh, got frustrated about the the misunderstanding of how all of that worked and how that hinged on, I mean, the entire episode hinged on that premise. Uh, So I did not think it was well thought out. Um, I'm with you that I really enjoyed the elite. I thought it was really fun that they went to the fortress. They broke into the Fortress of Solitude. I even forgot about that happening. That was really fun. Yeah, that was exciting, getting to see uh, some new things that were in the fortress. And 
I enjoyed getting to see more about Dreamer's abilities. I thought it was really cool that she snuck up on Menagerie using her, uh, I guess, some somehow her precognitive vision. Um, she was able to sort of put herself in a location and then creep up on Menagerie. I thought that was really cool. Um, and so I'm, I'm with you. I, I thought that Dreamer stuff in here uh, was good, especially when she was um, trying to learn how to be a superhero and use her quips. You know, Supergirl was like, you know, take it down to like a seven. <laughs> all of that stuff was was so was so funny. Like all of the stuff with Nia and Dreamer, like when she was like, I'm your sidekick. And like she was so excited about being called uh, Supergirl's sidekick. I thought that was so funny. Like the, the stuff I will never complain about this this season, I, I will say, is the Nia stuff because I feel like they have been getting it so right with her character she's such a good addition to the show the actress is so charming and funny and like anytime there's it's a good nia episode i i appreciate it i thought there were some redeeming parts of this episode but the the topical stuff it really was it was too much it was just too much and it was too much that was incorrect (laughs) factually so uh i did have some issues with that but if i'm incorrect about anything that i have said on this podcast Please correct me. I'm willing to be corrected if I've gotten anything wrong. All right. Well, I think that will do it for our mini thoughts on this episode, Stand and Deliver. So let's find out what our listeners had to say about this episode. Um, Our first tweet is from at VH451, who says, not going to tweet about Lockwood going full nativist and nearly inciting a race riot. Instead, I have a more burning question. Who's taking care of the baby Sun Eater? Apparently not Superman. Uh, Does the ASPCA need to be brought in? Yeah, nobody seemed to be worried about the baby's sun eater so i have a question rebecca is this something that was established in previous episodes no i I believe this is a nod to all-star superman by grant morrison so this this was just like a nod to the comics that they put in as a little easter egg um, at Cara underscore Quarrel uh, tweeted about it. So if you want want to uh, go check that out, she uh, even posted the page that comes straight out of All-Star Superman uh, where it actually <laughs> has the cosmic anvil that we saw in the crossover event. Uh, it has that in there, and it talks about the baby sun eater. So it is established in comic book canon, or at least from All-Star Superman, that in the Fortress of Solitude, there is a, a baby sun eater. But that is not something that I think that they had established before in Supergirl show canon. So this this was new. Our next tweet is from at uh, Mark HB PWM, who says, why, one, why is a director pulling guard duty? That's what expendable red shirts are for. Two, I love the Nia likes wearing the suit bits. Three, I also love that Eve got a whole scene. Uh, <laughs> four, are we supposed to know that cat that cat co reporter dude? He did appear in a previous episode where Mackenzie had played a nasty prank on him. Uh, even though we like Mackenzie now, she had a rough start. She was a bit she was a bit of a meanie to uh, to poor Franklin at Catco. So we did see him previously. And then his final comment is five. Kara has Kryptonian clothes from Argo. Listen, 
I, I'd have to say, like, when you're on Argo, everybody's so comfortable there. You know, like, everybody is wearing, like, a flowy dress or just, like, some pajama pants. <laughs> like, you know you're bringing that stuff home. You're rolling that up in a little ball and you're stuffing that in your spaceship. Yeah, you know she's chilling at home watching a classic <laughs> film in that in that Argo Snuggie. Yeah, that, that was uh, what she wore uh, on Argo uh, from season three. So I, th- I guess she brought that home with her. Um, at Haggle Blast said one is supergirl appearing as car in front of menagerie and later using her real name at the march has she taken the barry allen approach to identity concealment (laughs) (laughs) and then two where was calyx it's his job to stop people who aren't supposed to be in the fortress Good points. Um, I thought that there was a nice little thread that was going on after this tweet. Uh, at Cara underscore Coral said uh, her name, Cara Zorel, is uh, public knowledge, I guess, and, and mentions that in the comics she was known as Linda. That was her name in the comics for a long time. And at Hagelblast says last season in the Rainforest, Lena challenged Supergirl to reveal her real name. That leads me to think that her Kryptonian name is not public knowledge. So that's a good point, too. So maybe Kara Zor-El is not out there in the in the public. I would love it if, like, in next week's episode, Alex is like, you know what's really funny is that my sister's name is Kara. Isn't that, like, <laughs> nuts, Supergirl? Isn't that, like, so nuts? <laughs> <laughs> that's such a coincidence. Such a weird coincidence. Can you believe? The world is so small, is what I'm saying. <laughs> and I do think that's a good point about Kellex because we talked about previously that Kellex 1.0 was destroyed because he thought Supergirl was an intruder and she had to heat vision him because he was getting out of control about there being an intruder in the Fortress of Solitude and... This this new Kellex, he don't care. He was not protecting the fortress. You know what? This new Kellex, I'm going to go ahead and say it, is not as good as the old Kellex. <laughs> He's dropping the ball. He's mean now. Like, what did they, they gave him, like, the ability to, like, shirk his duties and get sassy? I don't know. <laughs> his programming is not great. <laughs> <laughs> Um, at Brooklyn underscore biker said, I like this episode mostly, but back to the consistency thing. Where was Calyx when Manchester broke into the Fortress of Solitude? Isn't he always lurking about? Wouldn't he confront Manchester or contact Kara about the break in? Again, he's just not as good as the last one. <laughs> um, at Jesso 13 said, I get the feeling that Kara wants Alex and Lena to figure out she is Supergirl. Uh, she goes, I loved uh, all that Nia and Brainy content, Supergirl changing minds by example, but hated that she got sidelined again. Uh, Jean saying, today I find you like a manhunter. That was a good line. Uh, James using his camera and scientist Lena. Um, at SL Fricky said, how does Ben Lockwood plan to send aliens back to their home planets? Who's paying for all the spaceships that would require? Maybe just support them so other countries can have them? Then again, the show doesn't give one single hoot about how the international community treats the alien problem, does it? Heck, you'd think the U.S. president creating an orbital laser cannon that can be turned on the planet would have caused a bit of tension with the other superpowers. That is a really good point. That's a really good point We I didn't even think of in the last week's episode, but a very solid point. <laughs> so we do know that there have been some alien tensions over in England because that's why Fiona came to the United States. And I guess that's why Manchester came as well. 
Uh, we don't know as much about what's going on over in Russia. We do know that there's a Russian car up punching some walls. Just punching away. We do know that there are some Russians who like Supergirl. We do know that, but we don't know much else. So that is a good point that we don't know much about the, the international community and how uh, everybody else feels about this. At Madtown Davidson said, do you all think Eve shot James to prevent him from learning the truth about Lena's experiments? It would be a dark turn, but it would set her up to become Lex's assistant. Or perhaps Eve has been secretly working for Lex the whole time. Mm. Oh, at to Eve. <laughs> <laughs> um, at Electra WWF said, great episode. A few thoughts. Brady and John should have been in their natural forms at the March. Mm. That's actually a good point. James taking important photos is the best use of his character since season one. Did Lex have something to do with James's shooting? John going full Manhunter may or may not be a good thing. Um, at Patty Mello 20 said, so they shot James in the same episode that he remembers that he is a photojournalist. <laughs> Subtle. Uh, Alex being a bodyguard makes no sense. She's the director of the DEO, not just an agent. Does Haley know that Brainy is an alien? Uh, and then Aaron Samuels, thanks Supergirl. Hashtag mean girls. That's a really good point. Cause we did talk about James and whether or not he should have been, a photojournalist at the march or if he should have been guardian but now this tweet makes me think that they showed us the photojournalist but now they may be taking us back to guardian so i'm very conflicted about what the show is trying to tell us about who james should be yeah that's a good that's a really good point i didn't think of it that way that maybe they're trying to make a point that like listen when james is a photojournalist bad things happen <laughs> which does seem to be his theme of this season <laughs> when when james journalism's bad things happen he did take that picture of lena and then they immediately broke up he he tried to do a story and he almost blew up a building so i mean it's it's not been going great for goal james this season is what i'm saying <laughs> not his shine not his best moments he's trying so hard to be a newsman he really is. At Danshin underscore Panda said, I know there have been alien attacks, but the Children of Liberty have been murdering innocent aliens in the city. So, of course, Kara should side with her own community that has not done any harm. Very meh episode. Can't wait for Lex in the next one. Well, we received an email from Daryl who writes, quote, James picks up a camera for what may be the first time since season one. He has the power of journalism, but the show chose to ignore that for a long time and, ma and made him guardian. And now what are they doing? Circling back to journalism. Who wants to take bets on if James will be back in the DEO med bay or it, or will they actually show us in, uh, that National City has at least one hospital besides the Children's Hospital, unquote? Uh, yeah, what's going to happen to James? I guess he's going to go to the hospital next episode. Hopefully they get him there in time. Um, we have an email from New Rachel who writes, Brainy is still one of my favorite parts of the season and his speech to Kara and the fight scene with the hat were particularly outstanding moments. And going along with the point about Kara, it's interesting to hear that Brainy is a citizen of Earth as well and considers it his planet, as he said to Alex in um, uh, season four, episode two, in comparison to Kalu which is just where he was from. His character arc has 
not been as developed as others, but we see that he's become more invested in history than before and is now active in fighting alongside Kara and taking what he found admirable about her to heart. I'm sure we'll see more material like this from his character in future episodes as well. Also, the hat's hat suits him, and I'd like to see him wear it again. Um, well, we heard from Courtney, who writes, quote, I was saddened that Jean played into Manchester's hand with him beating up the cloaked child of liberty. Him making the declaration of going after Manchester as a manhunter makes me worried what that could mean for his peaceful stance. He seems to have gone way past how he was in the DEO, unquote. Yet Manchester has been pushing his buttons. We have an email from Alex who writes, even before James was shot at the end, I thought this episode marked the end of the Guardian saga. His speech about the importance of the media and the show's statement about how James's photographs helped change people's hearts and minds was an indicator that he was going back to uh, field photography and reporting. But I have to say that I thought James's speech about the integrity of the media was a bit hypocritical, considering he recently killed a legitimate story <laughs> to protect his then-girlfriend's company. As always, James, one step forward, one step back. Uh, <laughs> And Alex goes on to say, and I do think that it was Miss Tesmaka that shot him. <laughs> uh, I think it will be revealed that Eve has been working for Lex Luthor all along, just so we can hear Lex scream, Miss Tesmaka. Well, Abby wrote in making the good point, quote, that we finally have a full-time reporter in McKenzie, but does she know that Catco is owned by L Corp, unquote. So that's a great point that I didn't think about, that McKenzie is working for a company that is owned by Lena Luthor, and she's investigating Lena Luther's possible secret shady dealings. I will say that makes me respect Mackenzie even more. If she's like, listen, I don't care what the parent company says. <laughs> there's there's some shadiness going on here, and I'm gonna research it. Also, imagine like I'm uh, my respect for Mackenzie is growing and growing because first off. Lena owns the parent company that owns the company that employs her. But second off, her boss was dating Lena. So for her to pitch this story is actually pretty impressive because it's awkward from several angles. Uh, well, Abby also has some questions for us, Morgan. So let's see if we can answer them. Uh, the first one is, Nia wasn't wearing her super superhero suit at the end of the protest. Does that mean people can connect her to being Dreamer? And why wasn't Brainy in his original form? Um, I think Brainy, just for budgetary reasons, the, you know, the, the makeup takes a lot of time. They, they can't really do the Brainy blue face wig situation. Uh, <laughs> the Dreamer thing, I don't know if people could connect her to Dreamer because Dreamer has long hair and Nia, I think, put the hair up. When she was just Nia? I mean, also, is it um, is it a huge secret that Nia is uh, is an alien? Because it, it seemed like it's not something that maybe she shares with everybody, but that it's not like a huge secret. Because she did tell Kara before she knew Kara's secret. So I, I think it's not, yeah, like not that controversial an idea that like an alien would be at an alien... March. I don't think people know Dreamer as well yet. I don't think people are asking questions about Dreamer. I think she's so new that nobody really cares about her secret identity at this point. 
I think she's just she's just still trying to get out there. <laughs> she's making a name for herself. That's what she's doing. Uh, well, the second question from Abby is anyone else distracted by all the books in Jean's office? Do you have any uh, additional thoughts about the office that they are now operating in? Uh, I mean, I love the books in John's office, but it does feel like he is working out of a bookstore. <laughs> uh, it, it feels like it, it, it honestly has like a little bit of a touch for me, at least of like Buffy where they were like, they would meet up in the library to like discuss the, like the latest thing that was happening. And then like in the later seasons, I think Giles is like running a, like a magic shop. And so there's like a lot of books around all the time, but it definitely feels more like a retail space. I will say like, I would wander in there and like, just start to be like, Hey, can I buy this book? And he'd be like, no, no. What are you doing in here? That's my book. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> what kind of books are in Jean's office. I would be curious about what, what the genre is. Is it all history books? Are they books that have like the, the pages cut out and there's like a little, gadget inside Ooh. you know i I would want to know what was in those what what books are on that shelf what if it turns out that all the books are like young adult high fantasy <laughs> 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 that's what john is really into uh well the final question from abby is do you think hat's hat is similar to harry potter's wand in that it chooses the person do you think hat's hat is really connected to hat i don't know but i would i would lo- i would love the idea if like that it's like the hat chooses you. <laughs> well, because Brainy did take it and he put it on, but I don't think it has the same magical power without the hat. What if Brainy took it and put it on and the hat just flew off his head and was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be into that. Um, okay. Our final email comes from Danae who writes, I loved a lot of the little moments in this episode, like Brainy finding another way to change the world for the better now that he doesn't have his ring and him telling Kara that even if they are superheroes, they are citizens of earth first and foremost. Also, I love Nia not wanting to take off the suit. Honestly, that would be me if I had a super suit. Uh, well, and Brett wrote in through Facebook saying, quote, after watching this week's episode, I have lost good feelings towards Alex. Having grown up in a military family and around federal law enforcement, she should have quit. She was letting her personal politics impede her from properly performing the administration of her duties. No matter who's in the White House, you follow orders or there is anarchy. Kara and her crew made zero effort to empathize with the collateral damage of their battles across National City, unquote. So there's some really great thoughts, and I really like that we have, like, a military listener to help us understand the perspective because that, I mean, I enjoy that because there is a lot of now military presence in the show. So it is nice to have someone who actually knows what they're talking about in regards to that kind of thing. Um, so she did, I mean, Alex did put her politic, her, her duty above her politics, but at the end, Alex tells Carr that she followed her beliefs, not the rules. Uh, and she did it just to take a moral stance. So, uh, yeah, I can I can maybe grant that um, that comment, Brett, that she she didn't really want to protect him. So, yeah, it was not not the best from Alex in this episode. Um, and I do think that I for me personally, I wish the show would have Kara and the Super Friends maybe empathize more with the humans of Earth, because there should be some conversation about how humans need protection as well. And not even talking about the children of liberty, just regular human citizens who have their houses destroyed and their family members killed. 
those people should come into the conversation as well. So I, I do appreciate your thoughts on that as well, Brett. This is at Cara underscore Quirrell, and it's time for the Legion Minute. In this week's Legion Minute, I want to talk about our adorable cub reporter. It's so nice to have another superhero in town, Franklin. In season four, episode two, it was revealed that Franklin was a dryad when Mackenzie, grr, Mackenzie, put wood chips in his coffee mug. Dryads are a silicon-based species whose bodies are essentially rock, sort of like Marvel's Ben Grimm, uh, otherwise known as the Thing from the Fantastic Four. Possibly the most famous dryad was named Block. He was a member of the Legion of Superheroes, of course, which is why we're doing him in the Legion Minute. Uh, Though several dryads have appeared in different time periods in the DC Universe, Block is thought to be one of the last remaining members of his species in the 31st century. Block is probably best known for his romance with another of Nianal's famous descendants, Nuranal's sister Missa, or if you prefer, Misa now, known as the White Witch, who is also a member of the Legion of Superheroes, like her sister. Instead of having Oniromancy, the White Witch studied magic on the planet Zerok. That's all the time we have for the Legion Minute. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr as Ekara underscore Quarrel. Also make sure to catch me on at Swamp Thing Radio. Long live the Legion. Uh, well, before we wrap up our feedback, we have some Snap Judgments sent in by our listeners. In the game of Snap Judgments, each person is presented with two options, but must only choose one. First instincts are recommended and explanations are unnecessary. So the first one comes from at Doogie448. Uh, items from Lena's wardrobe or a listing of all available living spaces, including desks, in National City. This is like a snap judgment made to like make me like question everything <laughs> that I hold dear. Um I have to go the uh, the real estate listings in National City. I want to know. I want to know what the 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 prices are, and I want to know about that desk. <laughs> I would feel very insecure about Lena's wardrobe because I don't think I could pull it off as well as she could. But that fur coat, that fur coat, man. I kind of want to go items from Lena's wardrobe just to get that power fur. Well, we have uh, some snap judgments from Abby, who asks, whose super suit would you prefer to wear all day? Supergirls or Dreamers? Supergirls. I like the cape. Dreamers looks a little more comfortable because Supergirl does wear those boots that look like that might hurt my feet a little bit because I have really sensitive feet. But the cape is pretty cool. I think I would go Supergirls. I think I would deal with my feet hurting just to have the, the cool cape. I think, but but if if I am if I have Supergirl's powers, my feet probably wouldn't hurt. So that's that's how I'm going to justify that in my head. Um, so Abby also asks, uh, security at the White House or security at Catco? They're both so bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> hmm, I'm gonna go. Who has worse security? Right? Yes. Who has who has the the worst security? Uh, services i have to go white house because you expect more <laughs> that is fair i think uh the last time we saw something crazy happen at the white house the more i broke into the oval office um i'm gonna i'm gonna maybe give them a little grace that they didn't expect an invisible alien to to break into the oval office i'm gonna go catco on this one 
Somebody just waltzed in and shot James in the back when he was walking away from his home. So <laughs> that's true. That's true. It's so rough. <laughs> and this is after like the Morgan Edge business, where you know a lot of crazy, a lot of crazy <laughs> things have gone down. I mean, Rain one time showed up in Catco. I I think Catco's had enough situations where they they need to up their game a little bit. They've had too many incidences. I, I don't think I can give them any grace. Um, well, these snap judgments are from Danae, which was the better song choice in this episode, Stuck in the Middle with You at the beginning of the episode, or Mad World at the end during the very compelling and moving sequence uh, that was uh, basically a musical montage. Hmm. I liked, you know, I liked Stuck in the Middle with You. I did, too. I liked the Stuck in the Middle with You with the elite walking in the slow motion out of the di- the diner. That really set the tone for me in the episode. So I'm definitely going Stuck in the Middle with You. Uh, all right. The next one is, who has the better internet presence? Cardanvers.com or American Alien? That's a good question. I mean... Cardanvers.com does have that blob, so I'm going to give it to her. <laughs> uh, American Alien organized a march, so I'm going to give it to hashtag American Alien. Um, also, <laughs> there's a double meaning because that was the episode title of the season premiere, so it's a it's also an Easter egg. So I'm going to go American Alien on that one. Uh, the last one from New Rachel: Would you rather have a fifth dimensional hat? Or a fortress of solitude. Good question, Rachel. We know my answer is fifth dimensional hat, though. <laughs> it's all I've ever wanted. Uh, you did not have to think about that. I, I hesitated not one second. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, this is tough. Um, I think for me, it comes down to the fortress of solitude having that really terrible technology with the uh, the ice monitor. Uh, I don't think I could deal with that. And with a fifth dimensional hat, I could just pull out a 50 inch big screen TV and then I would be set. So I think I'm going to go fifth dimensional hat on this one. No judgments on your snap judgments. Great, great snap judgments. So thank you all for sending in all of your thoughts and feedback on this week's episode called Stand and Deliver. If you'd like to contact Supergirl Radio, you can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com, and you can leave us a voicemail by calling 678-718-7252. Make sure to send in all your feedback before Tuesdays at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. You can listen to us on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, where we also have a Spotify playlist that includes uh, some of the music featured in this week's episode. Uh, You can find us on Radio Public, and uh, we are also on Podchaser now. We are also listed on DC's fan page, which you can find us at uh, dccomics.com slash dc-fans. We are also available on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher Radio, so if you've got some time, we encourage you to give us a rating and write us a review. And you can find all the links uh, of all the things that I just mentioned over at SupergirlRadio.com on the right side of the page. And now we throw it over to Ashley for the DC TV Plugs. If Supergirl Radio fills your heart with glee, then follow the network for DC TV. Don't fail this city, you've got to hear Quiver, where Amanda and Mike will always deliver. Then run along and check out The Flash, Andy and friends make quite the splash. 
don't forget the legends like they all forgot Rip. These ladies would never jax you to the timeship. Then join Clement and Nate in the incredible Brit for Black Lightning's podcast where we all get lit. We come to iZombie, which is very alive, except maybe after the end of season five. Our newest addition to our CW crew is the Batwoman podcast ready for you. We jump over to Sci-Fi, a whole different channel, to check out Krypton way before our bro Kal-El. Then there's DC Universe so we can all stream. The awesome show Titans, we're only summer teens. And if you love the oldies, may I recommend classic DC TV. Honestly, 10 out of 10. That's it, I hope. Please, Andy, good night. But I would make an exception for Young Justice, all right? Check out DC TV Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can find me on Twitter at DerbyKid uh, for the time being. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at the Derby Kid. I voice a character named Leanne on a sketch comedy podcast called The Fakest. And I just recorded our second episode of season two. Uh, really, really funny stuff. I had a hard time saying, uh, I forget what the line was. I think it was disgruntled employee exemption. That took me a (laughs) long time to say, so look forward to that. Uh, I'm also a contributor to Justice League Universe podcast, where we are covering Aquaman, and we are doing also a Patreon-only exclusive Man of Steel analysis. And if you go to the Patreon page, I think... There is also a panel that I was recently on at the Atlanta Sci-Fi and Fantasy Expo uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. So you can go listen to that small little uh, roundtable discussion about Aquaman and the future of the DCEU. Uh, You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Mojotastic. That's M-O-J-O-T-A-S-T-I-C. You can also find me as a co-host on the Legends of Tomorrow podcast, uh, which Legends of Tomorrow, if you have been so upset about the long break which I have been too. It's coming back very soon. Very, very soon. Uh, April sometime. I know it. I know it. I'm just making sure you know it. Uh, it's, it's kind of like how the Supergirl writers uh, went with the branches of government. Like, you tell me when it's coming back and then I'll confirm for you. Uh, but we have, I think we are planning one more. Uh, we've been doing uh, an episode a month during this long, long hiatus. Um, so I think we have a March episode planned if our schedules will uh, align in a certain way. Uh, so so keep a lookout for that and listen listen to that episode. I'm very excited. Anytime Legends of Tomorrow comes back, that means more Legends of Tomorrow podcast. And I'm into that. Even though I don't watch the show, <laughs> I do listen to the podcast. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this Supergirl Radio episode on Stand and Deliver. But until next time, I'm still Rebecca Johnson. I'm still Morgan Glennon. And remember, you don't need a Legion ring when you have friends. Friends.